2: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss.
3: That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday, June 21st edition of Daily Face-Off Live. Don't know what happened to Mike McKenna's camera, but it doesn't matter. We've got plenty of hockey talk to get to one week exactly from the NHL draft. We'll have our draft uh, and prospects analyst, uh, Stephen Ellis, join us shortly. And as always, Daily Face-Off Live is brought to you by Botano. The game starts now at botano.ca. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Mike, how you doing?
3: I'm doing pretty good. Frank had a fun weekend, did a little bit of coaching on the first two days, so ready to get this one going yourself?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Some news coming today at 3 p.m. Eastern time, Mike, and that is that... Uh, some really special members of the hockey community are going to get hockey immortality and will be inducted into the hockey hall of fame in November. They're scheduled to receive those calls this afternoon and that news. So it's a really interesting class, Mike, in the sense that, you know, aside from Henrik Lundqvist, the first time eligible player, he's the only real slam dunk of this class, which leaves a lot of room open for interpretation and potentially some wrongs to be righted here. So, Let's work through this. You and I in the last couple of days have picked our own classes uh, for 2023. Here's mine. I got Henrik Lundqvist in that spot. Uh, Music to your ears. Another goaltender going in with him and Curtis Joseph, I think long overdue. People say, oh, he hasn't won any hardware. Well, how about all the years that he was finishing runner up as the Vezina and in in a finalist for voting? He was losing out to some of the best goaltenders of all time in Martin Brodeur and Patrick Waugh and others that are already uh, rightfully enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Alex Mogilny, another guy who has been around for a while, I believe, uh, you know, more than 10 years of eligibility now. And Alex Mogilny has been passed over year after year. And Sergei Gonchar, uh, Sergei Zubov recently went into the Hockey Hall of Fame, I believe in 2019, Antar's career, I think, is is slightly better than Zubov. And two guys kind of cut from a pretty similar uh, cloth to really smooth skating defensemen who were significant offensive contributors at a time when they also mostly played in the dead puck era. In the builder category, I've got David Poyle, uh, someone who is retiring and stepping away from the game after 39 years consecutively as an NHL general manager. Quite literally, helped build the Nashville Predators from scratch. Don't get much more of a builder than that. And in the women's hockey category, I've got Caroline Ouellette, who uh, you know is one of the most decorated players of all time, and has also been passed over as well. What about you, Mike? What say you? So I'll go
3: right along with you with Caroline Ouellette. Um I think she's absolutely deserving. I'll piggyback there, and and our lists aren't that dissimilar, Frank. I've got um, Henrik Lundqvist in there as well. And look there, there's a lot of goaltenders, Curtis, Joseph, Mike Vernon, they all belong in Mike Vernon. He's got two Stanley Cups with two different teams, a Conn Smythe trophy and five all-star appearances. I don't know what else more you need there. You know, Joseph's in that mix where he wasn't ever among, uh, he, he was like basically your second or third best goalie or fourth best goalie for a long time his longevity uh, along with the number of games that he's won. He's top 10 all time. So those matter to me. I think they belong in my builder. That's the interesting category. I've got Kevin Collins, who's actually an official here um, in that category. I mean, this is a guy who works 2,400 NHL games, four Canada cups, 12 Stanley cup finals. Frank, he should be in the hall of fame along with Francois Lair who really was the first goalie coach to knock the door down in the NHL and create a systematic approach to the position came in with Patrick Waugh and the Montreal Canadiens 1984 from the Sherbrooke American league team up to the NHL one Stanley cup. So um, my list is a little bit varied. It's very goalie heavy because I think that there's some wrongs that need to be right there, but Alex Mulgilney has to be in this year. There's no denying this guy over a point a game as well as an NHL uh, as a Stanley cup of devils. He's been long overdue.
2: Only 13 goalies have been elected, uh, since the post-expansion era began in 1967. Just an incredible number to think about for what I believe is the most important position in the sport. Mike, we're going to talk about the goaltending carousel, the annual game of goaltending musical chairs in a... Minute, but first, want to talk about uh, free agency coming up one week from Saturday on July first, and want to talk about two guys in particular who are getting some attention uh, and rightfully so. One of them, uh, Connor Brown, coming off of an ACL tear, and the other one is Max Pacioretty, uh, coming off of a, a second consecutive torn or ruptured Achilles tendon suffered uh, with the Carolina hurricanes one in the off season, had it surgically repaired. And then the same spot ruptured again after playing just five games for the Canes this season. So let's talk first about Connor Brown Um, told the interest there has been significant, Um, he's seven months removed from that ACL tear. He's been skating in the Toronto area. In the meantime, he was able to strength train. The knee looks good. He's had no issues to this point. I'm told that he's been doing, you know, even things as strenuous as one legged box jumps, things like that in order to get ready for this upcoming season. Now, both of these guys in Brown and patch have available to them a unique clause in the NHL CBA, which allows teams to offer these guys contracts that uh, are bonus laden. You could even start as low as the minimum uh, league minimum in terms of a salary cap structure and then add in bonus payments along the way, much in the same way that, you know, Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci did last year with the Bruins, where you get a minimal amount that hits the cap and then the rest comes in terms of a bonus payment Uh, At the end of the season, that doesn't hit your cap potentially until as late as next year. And the reason for that is both of those guys missed at least 100 days of last season uh, being on LTIR. So they have a specific and interesting clause that opens up and de-risks the opportunity for teams to add these players. My sense is I don't get I don't get the sense that Brown with the interest that's out there will be a candidate for that because I think he's a a candidate to receive a a contract of of multiple years in term and perhaps even a pay raise off of what he was making. Teams seem to be really confident, at least from what I've heard to this point in that knee. Pacioretty might be in a different spot, but what's fascinating about Pacioretty here is that he's also, um, you know, he's does something that few guys in this league can do as a finisher. And not only that, but it's a somewhat weak free agent class. And the same confident that exists, confidence that exists about uh, Brown's knee surgery also exists in Pacioretty's uh, re-repair of that torn Achilles. Uh, no one is expecting any issues moving forward. It seems like there were some hints that the first surgery that was done was improperly repaired because it, uh, I believe, ruptured in the same exact spot. So this time around, um, expecting Max Pacioretty to regain form and to be fully healthy. And by the way, I don't think that the door has closed just yet on Pacioretty uh, to return to the Carolina Hurricanes. So let's see if we can bring Mike McKenna back in now after some technical issues. And let's get to that. There he is, the goalie carousel. And Mike, there was a report from TSN and Insider Trading on Tuesday that linked Connor Hellebuck to the New Jersey Devils potentially as one of the options for Hellebuck as the Jets peruse the trade market. And while it's an intriguing idea, um, Mike, I'm told that the Devils are potentially, you know, of course, they have interest. And the interest, I believe, is mutual, as CSN reported. But what's fascinating about the Hellebuck issue, wherever he goes, whether it's New Jersey or L.A., whoever it might be, you can get Connor Hellebuck at a decent rate this year, but then you need to pay him to re-sign him for years moving forward. And that's going to be pretty expensive. PSN reported that they think that Hellebuck could be in the Andre Vasilevsky range north of $9 million. I sort of saw him at a number a little bit less than that, somewhere in the eights, partially just because I think teams aren't really ready to pay a goaltender that much after seeing teams struggle with the carry price contract, etc., and, and maybe this, this sense coming off of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights and Aiden Hill that maybe you don't need to pay a goalie that much in order to win a Stanley Cup and be successful. There's only been one ever $10 million plus AAV player to win the Stanley Cup, and that was this year with Jack Eichel as a skater. No one's really gotten close other than Vasilevsky in terms of being paid that much as a goalie. Bobrovsky, of course, $10 million this year as well. Do you see that being an issue moving forward for Hellebuck, regardless of where he stands, given some of the teams that we just reported and and just had a board? um, They have cap space, but are they willing to commit that much to a goalie, knowing the other players that they need to pay?
3: That's my biggest question. You know, if Connor Hellebuck wants to make over nine million dollars, I don't see amongst the contenders who that's going to happen with, Frank. Like L.A., how are they going to make room for Connor Hellebuck if that's who they want, okay? Pittsburgh Penguins, can they extend him beyond one year? You can get him at $6 million for one year. That'll work just fine. But New Jersey, I'm interested with New Jersey here. Because if there's mutual interest from both sides, would it make sense? Yes, it would. Because I think New Jersey would like to shore up their goaltending. Um, I think Akira Schmid is probably still a year away and headed back to Utica because he's waiver-exempt. But they just extended Bratt. They've got extended Mercer now as an RFA. And if you want to keep Timo Meyer, how do you plan on getting Hellebuck? And he's 30 years old, Frank. That's why I'm surprised the $9 million plus number is in play here, if that's the case. Because I don't know which team will do it. Carolina, they're not going to spend that money on a goaltender. I mean, the only team out there I see that could potentially do that might be Ottawa. But even they have uh, a lot of money coming at them as well, Frank. So do you see any of these teams that you think would really make a play on that expensive of a goaltender to, to keep him into the future? I don't. I think it starts to look more middle pack teams and the middle pack teams aren't contenders. So do you want to win or do you want to get paid? That's my question with Connor Hellebuck.
2: Well, um, that's a really good question. And I think the one thing you have to factor in that these teams certainly are is budgeting for next year. We did have some news from Chris Johnson today who's reporting that he believes the cap is only increasing one million dollars to 83 and next year, which would mean if that's true, You can bet on the cap being north of $90 million the following season. So essentially, you take Hellebuck at the number that he's at this year, which is in the sixes, and then the increase that you have coming in the cap next year could essentially basically pay for Hellebuck if you're one of those teams. That's the way that I would look at it or at least pay a significant chunk of Connor Hellebuck. So I maybe wouldn't be as concerned about it as some of the teams on the list. But you're right. It's not just about projecting next year. It's the next couple of years and the additional contracts that you need to sign or some of your other players who may be graduating out of entry-level deals or second contracts.
3: Yeah, because you know Hellebuck wants a long-term deal. It's not going to be short-term. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Devils turned around and went with a veteran goaltender that's not quite of a Hellebuck's cast to go alongside Vanecek while Schmid continues to develop. I wonder about a Semyon Varlamov, someone like, like that. Two, three years, three million bucks. That seems like it makes more sense for where that franchise is at than going down a road of a six, seven-year extension at big money for Hellebuck and is in his 30s.
2: Well, especially if you're considering that you're pretty comfortable with Vanek, maybe someone like a Tristan Jari makes sense a little bit on the upper echelon in terms of the pay scale. But isn't going to command term anywhere where much longer than three or four years, mm-hmm. and is probably in the four and a half to four seven five million dollar range. That maybe that's a nice happy medium. A bit younger than Varlamov has, you know, some some game. Uh, the biggest question with Jari has been injury, and can he stay healthy yeah. and stay on the ice? But again, if, if you're comfortable with Vanek, then maybe this mitigates some of that risk and. You know, I don't know. I just happen to like the higher upside, the higher ceiling of someone like Jari.
3: Well, I do too. I have Jari top on my list, but I think Corpusalo would fit that mold very well, also. You know, Jari Corpusalo, even though Corpusalo is gonna get a few less dollars, I think he might be the guy to fit in there.
2: Yeah. Corpusalo coming off a nine fifteen save percentage season rejuvenated his career or certainly his season with the Kings, who to this point have not made a decision in yet in goal yet on who they're going to be bringing back. Uh, A lot of people wondering, is Hellebuck a fit there too? Let's get to our off-season preview. We've gone through almost every team in the NHL. One of the last remaining teams that we have is the Boston Bruins. And Mike, I kind of feel for Don Sweeney here. Probably still a little bit stunned after the first round exit in Game 7, especially the fashion in which that went down. But then now trying to pick up the pieces and put the puzzle back together for the Boston Bruins, don't know yet whether Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci are going to be coming back depending on who you speak to. And again, not reporting this, but the the sort of subtle whisper, the thought process is maybe they aren't getting those guys back. That's what people are whispering behind the scenes. And if that's the case one way or the other, You've still got a whole host of other players that you need to figure out on your team, including what about Tyler Bertuzzi? You want to try and bring him back. It seems like Dimitri Orloff, they can't afford to keep him. But this is a team that still wants to remain in that competitive window, and they might have someone like a Jeremy Swayman in that who could be an offer sheet target for some of these other teams. So Don Sweeney has a whole lot to figure out. He's got pieces that he has to move out. I think he's offered Taylor Hall to teams that almost a sort of take him off of our hands. We're not expecting a lot back in return for him, given his cap hit and the term that's remaining on his deal. They're trying to get rid of Mike Riley, who's still a buyout candidate, potentially Derek Forbort. Uh, go down the list, Matt Grizzlick. These are all guys that are in play in a significant summer of transition for a Bruins team that still has David Pasternak and Charlie McAvoy and Hampus Lindholm to build around. Say nothing of the likely Vezina winner and Linus Olmar.
3: Yeah, well, I like the core that they have on the back end. That's the nice part. It's just you know, how are you going to be able to keep everybody in the mix when you don't know what's going to happen? They need clarity from Marchant and Crichey right away or sorry, from Bergeron and Krejci as soon as they can, because they do have to lock up Trent Frederick, who's an RFA, and Swayman as an RFA that could be three to four million dollars. You'd like to keep them in-house, but what if they do something crazy and move a trademan? They have Brandon Boosey in the American League who had a great rookie season. I don't expect that, but I think that might be your nuclear option because you laid out the path to clearing up cap space. Grizzlick, Riley, Forbert, Hall. Like there's a lot there that can move. But the center position that the Bruins were so strong at this year is in question because Tomas mm-hmm. Nosek's probably moving out as well, Frank. So If you get Bergeron back, that's great. If you get Krejci back, big bonus. But I think they need one of those two players to even be able to make it work on how they figure out anything else, and they need that clarity soon. So um, if I'm the Bruins, I still like my back end. I'd like to add a little bit, if possible, um, like they did, but how do you do it under cap space? That's the big question.
2: I think basically the gist of conversations, at least how they've been relayed to me, that general managers have had with Don Sweeney to this point has been, tell me who you like. Tell me what gets you excited so that they can potentially begin to figure this out based on which players might have some value. Another reason why they got a player like Pavel Zaka locked up already, too. You mentioned that center position and the hole that might be there. Certainly could be active on the trade market on that front as well. Let's get to uh, our prospect analyst, Stephen Ellis, with this week's edition of The Next Wave.
4: fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com
2: that's right he is Stephen ellis the nhl draft one week from tonight round one begins in nashville tennessee can't wait to have boots on the ground and talk to steven ellis more about the draft as it continues check out dailyfaceoff.com where he's dropped his latest top 150 draft rankings it is a mammoth file with blurbs on all of the top 100 players on his list and you can also check out steven's full draft hub on dailyfaceoff.com but steven as you drop that top 150 today one of the questions that everyone wants to know as your final rankings come out is who was your biggest riser ahead of the 2023 draft whose stock rose the most
5: well, I don't like to look at kind of short sample sizes a lot for players because like, like a tournament, for example, like the world juniors, the U18s, that's not a great example of how good a player could be in a short span. Yes. But in a long term thing, you're looking at different uh, factors. But one player that really stood out in that second half of the year and, and really through that U18s was David Edstrom, uh, who I have at number 30. You know, getting to see him in person really kind of opened my eyes to how good of a skater he was. Just strong hockey IQ, uh, very strong dual threat as a shooter and a passer. And, you know, he's got the size. He's 6'3", 187 pounds, and he uses that. So he's kind of got that power forward build to him right now. And, you know, didn't get a lot of points this year in the SHL, but four points in 11 games is actually pretty solid for a player that, in a lot of cases, guys like prospects that come into the SHL don't play a lot. And he made the most of his opportunity. So uh, we saw what he could do on that top line on that Sweden team. He set up a lot of the plays there. I think he's got a lot of value. So I wouldn't be surprised. I have him at 30. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets picked up by a team in the top
4: 20.
3: Well, when you look back now, it's also a chance to see which players have not only moved up in your rankings, but have also had a chance to slip. And that's the unfortunate place that you, you want to avoid as a player. Trust me. So um, give us maybe a name or two whose stock has fallen since the start of this season.
5: Well, unfortunately, it's one of my favorite players heading into this draft, and that's Cameron Allen from the Guelph Storm. Uh, I think I had him in like 10th or 11th in my first rankings as the top defenseman, I have him at 70th now. And I know a lot of places actually have him a little like even lower than that. Uh, Based on his play as a a rookie last year, he looked great. He he had the offensive skill, very strong defensively Looked confident. He he was playing with fire despite kind of missing an entire year due to COVID um, the way hockey worked out in Ontario this year, you know, he looked, terrible at the u18s he had a really so-so year of guelph he was playing above 30 minutes a night a lot of times so you know that is still a good thing but it's his decision making with the puck that really concerns me here it's to me there's still a lot of high risk high reward here you know Knowing that he didn't play a great year this year and that's what you are you see the most of him this year, um, you're hoping that next year he could bounce back. And I think he's possible. I don't think he just forgot how to play hockey. I don't think he just forgot how to distribute the puck, but he's got to be able to refine those elements. And, you know, the right coaching, I think, can turn that around. I do still believe that Cam Allen could be a good defenseman, but I just I'm not sure which player you're getting when you draft him at this point.
2: All right, Steven, it's a bit of a fantasy hockey term, but I want to ask you about sleepers. Everyone wants to know, you know, who's a diamond in the rough that a team might mine a little bit later in the first round. Who's a player that you feel really confident about? That's not just going to make it as an NHL player, but could be an impact guy that people really aren't talking that much about right now.
5: Well, I I tend to lean to goalies in a situation like this because goalie development obviously is just as weird as it gets. But one that I really like is uh, Juha Jakola out of Finland. Um, He was the goalie for Finland at the World uh, Juniors in the summer tournament, and he almost kind of helped Finland win that gold in a way where the Finnish goaltending just wasn't getting the job done. And, you know, this year him playing 40 games this year is a big deal in Liga. You know, he was one of the youngest goalies in the league, one of the youngest starting goalies. Uh, By the time he'll get drafted, he should be 21 years old. So, he's a bit farther down the development line and he's going to go back to Finland for another year. And, you know, compared to some of these other goalies that are still playing junior, he'll have a couple years of pro experience under his belt. And, you know, he's six foot one. Uh, so he's not a huge goalie by any means, but his flexibility, his athleticism, you know, there's a lot of signs that you see in his game that you also might see in a guy like Adam Gayon, a goalie I've talked about a few times here where, you know, he's six, three, very athletic. And I kind of see that same athleticism out of Jack Cola where he's not really pushing himself out of position. He's he's very calm in the crease and uh, he's got a good head on him there. So I think, you know, you, you're, you look at him now and he's played pro other goalies have not. And I don't want to say that gives him a huge advantage. But if you're looking for a, a more projectable goalie at this point, the guy that's got a few extra years could be very valuable. And I got him at number 91. So uh, a year ago, I don't think he was on anyone's radar. And, and now he's looking at a goalie that could be one of the first taken.
2: If I'm not mistaken, looking through your top 150, I think you have Michael Rabble as the number one goalie available at number 44. I don't know. I Just from people I talk to around the league, I think we will have one if not two goalies selected in the first round. Most important position in the sport, as I referenced earlier in the show, for whatever reason, teams don't really want to take a chance in the first round. But I think given how important the position is, it's worthy of a gamble to do so. Uh, thank you to Stephen Ellis. you got to head over to dailyfaceoff.com and check out Stephen's Draft Hub. Just go right to the homepage right at the top. You'll see it there. It says Draft Hub. Click on that. He's got 26 different player profiles up in terms of a full-length feature story on 26 players. In addition to all of his rankings from throughout the year, you can compare and contrast how players rose and fell and his mock drafts. Everything is all in one spot to get you set for round one of the NHL draft. One week from tonight, Nashville, Tennessee. Can't wait to see Stephen at Bridgestone Arena uh, June 28th. Looking forward to it. Thanks to Stephen for this week's edition of The Next Week. All right, Mike. Time for the daily face-off inbox question of the day. We're taking some viewer questions. So if you're on the YouTube stream where the chat is buzzing, throw it in there. Hashtag Ask DFO. We'd be happy to get to them. Uh, Chris wants to know: Is Jonathan Taves a bonus contract option? Uh, I do not believe he is from a technical standpoint uh, in terms of being on LTIR for more than 100 days last season. But he is over 35, so he could sign that same exact contract structure yeah. that Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci and many others have signed. So if Jonathan Taves is continuing his career, which I think is a big question mark, he's not in our top 50 free agents ranking because of that. But man, if you're a contending team that could somehow coax Jonathan Taves on a short-term, short-money deal... After making 125 plus million in his career, Mike, that seems like it might be a, a worthy gamble.
3: I think so. I mean, it just depends where Taves wants to go. He he's in the driver's seat for this, Frank, and I think ultimately it's not about money in any way. It's trying to find a place to win another Stanley Cup and also deciding if if his if he's healthy enough to do that to go through the rigors of a season. So I think it's all with Jonathan Taze where he wants to go.
2: Either way, as the class of 2023 Hall of Fame. Uh, induction group is announced today at some point in the near future, whenever Jonathan Taves decides to hang it up, he will be getting that call from the hall. Ferguson asks, uh, what about Blake Wheeler? Can he be bought out and is a trade still realistic? I think it is realistic. I think the Winnipeg jets would have to eat half Ferguson, Mm -hmm. uh, of the $8.25 million cap hit that's remaining. And for the Jets, I think that would be more palatable than the buyout just because the buyout stretches into two years. Essentially, you're, you're paying out sort of the same amount of money regardless. Um, so if you can cut it down to one year instead of two, that's great. And I think Blake Wheeler at the production level that he's at, someone should be taking a flyer on Blake Wheeler at half of 8.25 because I still think he's a, an intriguing power forward in today's game, maybe not quite at the level that he used to be at, yeah. But for one year to have that guy on a playoff contending team, I don't know, makes sense to me.
3: It does to me. I mean, even if it's up to a five or five and a half million dollar cap hit, like he can still drive play. I think he's well regarded that way. And and honestly, he's gonna be rejuvenated going somewhere else. It might take a little pressure off too. And at that lower cap hit, you're not don't have that same expectation.
2: Here's the truth, though. Um, Blake Wheeler, his days are certainly numbered in Winnipeg. I, they can't bring him back. I know they took the sea off his jersey last year, but still wielded significant influence. And I just can't see them doing that they again. At the very least, it's addition by subtraction uh, by way of a buyout, if that's what they have to do. Uh, let's see. Do we have one more? Uh, hot lunch, four zero one, one. What a username, by the way. Uh, he says, what's the probability of there being an offer sheet in the NHL this summer? I'm going to say Mike, it's like 5%.
3: Yeah. I I mean, Swayman, how many times you offer sheet a goalie though? So I don't see even Swayman being a great candidate for that one. I'd be surprised by it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wonder about the idea of Evan Bouchard in, in Edmonton, just because the, the Oilers have cap problems. And if you want to make their life difficult, but at the same time, you know, at what point are you just doing them a favor and signing him to a long term deal that um, they're just going to anyway. say, yeah, we'll just match and yeah. we'll figure it out. Uh, whoever we need to trade on the other end of that, whether it's Fogel and Yamamoto and CC or whoever it might be. So yeah, I do Thanks to everyone that's been firing stuff into the chat. Uh, Love to see that buzz in one week away from the NHL draft. So much happening. Mike, and that brings us to garbage time. What do you got? Uh, I just
3: spent the last couple of days hanging out with some goalies, and it's pretty amazing to see an NHL goalie coach or director of goaltending that's 66 years old still working on a daily basis with the youth of the sport. And Mitch Korn is the guy I'm talking about. Uh, he's works with the New York Islanders. We got a picture here of three of us alongside Mitch. One of them is uh, YouTube sensation Kane Van Gate, and another person who's in hockey uh, in another way, and I can't mention who he is. But Mitch has been a guy that's been a mentor to literally thousands of people, the children of the court nationwide. And I just it strikes me because there's not many NHL goalie coaches that'll still go and spend nine. 10 hours a day doing this on the road, on the ice, in classrooms, teaching kids about the game. And it's become such a profit-driven sport in so many ways. I see goalie factories. There's goalie schools, Frank, that people will put up. They will put covers on the glass so people can't see what they're doing in the rink to try to have proprietary information. And that's junk. It's about the kids getting better. My daughter got to go to her first goalie camp uh, and and just enjoyed delivering hell out of it. And and I did, too, watching it. So, you know, in this day, when money kind of rules everything, it's nice to still see a camp like this and a person who's so invested really to. I mean, it's listen, you're making a bit of money, but it's really about helping all these kids enjoy the game more uh, and make it better. So 44 kids on the ice and and a really fun four days.
2: Mike McKenna spending a few days with goalies. Talk about a guy in his natural habitat. I was. (laughs) Goalie heavy show, by the way, but uh, tons happening on that front over the next week to 10 days as the annual game of goaltending musical chairs begins to hit play. Uh, That'll do it. We're going to hit stop on today's edition of Daily Faceoff Live. We'll be back 12 noon Eastern on Thursday. Plenty of news and analysis from around the NHL. Until then, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and have a great day, everyone.
0: But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under